I'm Megan. I'm Christy. And I'm Auntie B. And we are Home Homebrew Brew Murder Crew. Hello. Welcome, welcome. Hey guys. We have changed locations once again. Yeah, we're at Brinnie's. Yeah, but we're all together this time. Yes, <laughs> yes, which is great. None of us are sick and none of us sound like we're sick. Yeah. Well, I mean, I probably sound a little bit more like a man because I've been smoking so much because I am as stressed the fuck out. I think I just perpetually sound like garbage, so. Oh, oh come on now. Gosh. Gosh. Wow. Have you heard wow. yourself at karaoke? Please. I have. And it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, how has your guys' week been? Because I am exhausted. I am so sick of this bloody cold weather. And also, so, okay, <clears throat> so you guys know, but I'll tell our audience. So today I cut my fucking finger. I sliced the shit out of that thing. And it was with like a brand new pair of um, thinning shears, thinning shears, thinning shears for my hair. Or is this just what you want us to believe? Okay, we're getting there. Okay. <laughs> um, so when it happened, uh, I like, I like, I I stayed calm, cool, and collected because M was watching his shows in the bonus room, and I was like, I was internally freaking out because this this was a gusher, right? Mm-hmm. And um, anyways, figured it all out, got it bandaged up, and everything. But at like during that time, obviously, like my intrusive thoughts came in, oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, like if you've ever sliced your finger with something super sharp like that, like that feeling of it cutting through your flesh, and I'm just like thinking of like. How people slit people's throats. Oh, and, oh god. my god. Like, <laughs> that escalated so quickly. Oh, I <laughs> oh, like I was like, like oh, I'm thinking about your finger flex. being sliced one second and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. I, I get that image. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Excellent. Yep, yep, also, yep, yep, yep. I have the same sweater as you. Cute. <laughs> Plans. So welcome back for another rendition of Homebrew Murder Crew. Uh yeah. I love Auntie B, Christy, and Megan. And um we are currently an audience of 50, which is great. So you guys, I think there's the ability for you guys, our listeners, to like wherever you listen to your podcasts is to go on and maybe like give us a review as well. So that could help boost us and get um, some more audience, some more listeners. And share, share, share. Share, yeah. share, share. share. Please, yeah. yeah. Please. Yeah. We'll be forever grateful. So we're also like a little bit out of loop today with um, yeah. the order of things. So um, normally it's Auntie B's time Yeah, shine, but... so it would be my turn. And I do apologize to our listeners out there who might have been looking forward to hearing me. But I am passing my torch over to Christy Lee here. My life has been a little crazy. We're here in my place today because I'm actually moving out of here in a couple of days. Yeah. And I'm moving to like a bigger space, like a townhouse and everything's kind of in disarray and I'm also working. So I've passed the torch off to Christy because I'm a little overwhelmed. And sometimes Mm -hmm. when you're overwhelmed, you just need to ask for help. Exactly. So I've asked her for help. I had something ready because last weekend at work, I had the opportunity to actually do some research and get ahead of the game. So it actually worked out really well. So instead of us leaving you guys hanging for another week, we are here. We are here. So we are here. We are here. We are here. So let's get the fuck into it. Yeah, guys, I'm ready. So I'm bringing, I haven't told the girls anything about the case that I've chosen. So we're going to start by 
Have you guys ever taken the South Number Three Highway into BC? All the time, yeah. And yeah. gone through the Crow's Nest Pass. Oh yeah, right I used here. to go camping in Crow's Nest Pass yeah. like all oh, the yeah. time. Yeah, yep. And what's a pretty prominent thing that you see when you go through there? Frank Slide. Exactly. There you go. Ah. Are you doing Frank Slide? We're doing Frank Slide, so we're switching oh it up. As you guys, our listeners know, um, our podcast is listed as true crime, paranormal, like kind of dark history and that sort of thing. So this is kind of where we're going with it. Um, Dark Poutine did an excellent episode on Frank Slide and the other kind of mining incidents and stuff like that. Right. Um, So definitely give them a listen. um, I can't tell you how fucking excited I am It's kind of exciting. Because uh, honestly, all I know, and maybe this is a shame because I'm born and raised here. Mm -hmm. Um, I learned so much research. I know a little bit about it, but I know the folklore or what my parents have told me Mm -hmm. or what I've heard from my friends or, Mm -hmm. you know, the conversation that you have while you're driving through and everybody sharing the information they have. But I don't think I've ever actually sat and fully gone into the yeah. full. Oh, I and have. I've gone into the like the interpretive center, and but I was like super young, so I was not an age where I could actually like take that information in and process it to really understand like what actually happened. Mm-hmm. All I knew was like the side of a mountain came down. So we're gonna get oh, into so it. I'm so excited. My yes. dad and I go camping there all yeah. the time, and we always go to. And you, you guys like around. it is haunting it to is drive haunting. through it is haunting mm-hmm. like yeah. you can see it coming and it is just like i'm getting chills right now I know. just talking about it's it such like such a vast yeah. amount of damage yeah and it's just sitting there yeah like they just left if you there. haven't seen yeah. it or you're planning to come to alberta or Pinter bc Creek. yes it's in Pincher yeah. creek you definitely have to drive through it it's yeah. it's something else that's get out of your sure. car and walk through it so we're going to start with like a little history of the Crow's Nest Pass um, before we get into what happened here with the slide. So the municipality of Crow's Nest Pass is located 269 kilometers southwest of Calgary, Alberta, in the historic Crow's Nest Pass through the Rocky Mountains. The municipality takes its name from a prominent nearby mountain. The name is either taken from the Crow Indian who came from Montana, actually, or the fact that like literal crows nested below the mountains summit. Um, So that's kind of like those are the two ideas of where the names come, where the name comes from. So first formed as a municipality in 1979 with the amalgamation of five small former mining communities, Bellevue, Hillcrest, Frank, Coleman, and Blairmore. In 1996, it was incorporated as a town when it absorbed the surrounding improvement district. So due to its urban rural mix, the Crozas Pass was granted specialized municipality status in 2008. So kind of recent. I mean, yeah. when you think about yeah. it, in 2021, sorry, who calls it that? In 2021, <laughs> in 2021, the, new, the municipality had a population of 5,663. The population of the Crozas Pass increased 0.75% year over year, and it decreased 2.3% in the last five years. So let's go way back. Okay, so way back, way back, way back, way back, way back. 
<laughs> so settlement began in the area in the 1880s with the construction of the Canadian Pacific Railway. So from here on out, we're going to call that CP Rail through the construction of the CP Rail branch line through the pass. The main economic activity of the area was the mining of coal, both for the railway and other markets. A number of disasters fell upon the area in its early years, uh, which I had mentioned that Dark Poutine does a really good episode on all that. Yeah. Um, so there's obviously the Frank slide, which we will get into, but also in 1910, an explosion at the Bellevue mine killed 31 people. And in 1914, another mine explosion at Hillcrest mine killed 189 miners. Holy crap. Yeah, it remains Canada's worst mine disaster. And by the 1980s, the coal mines had all shut and the area was in an economic slump. Now, the history of the area is commemorated at the Frank Slide Interpretive Center and at numerous historic sites such as Leech Colliery's. The municipality with its scenic mountain location has now turned into uh, tourism as an alternative economic base. So pretty cool. Um, Obviously, with all that, like that much history and everything, I mean, it's, I think everybody stops at Frank. Oh, yeah. Go through, right? Well, I mean, I don't think there's a Calgarian or at least anybody that I've grown up with that if you say Frank slide, mm-hmm. won't know yeah, what exactly. you're talking about. Yeah. So one of these disasters has remained and will remain as a massive scar on the town of Frank. So again, if you've ever driven through the municipality of the Crow's Nest Pass on the number three Alberta Crow's Nest Highway, chances are you'll recall seeing a huge field of rubble on the east side of the road, which appears to have fallen from the mountain on the left. This is a site of the Frank Slide of 1903, the deadliest landslide in Canadian history. Ooh, I got the chills. Oh, yeah, I know. I did too. I know. Yeah. Full body chills. I love it. I'm so excited oh, for this. Yeah. So. Well, I'm not. Okay. I'm not excited that it happened. No. I am excited to learn and educate it's myself. It's good. More yeah. on it. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, initially, I would have loved to actually, like, I was going to recommend that I take you girls for a road trip and then I wasn't going to tell you where. But then also I thought, well, well that's kind of creepy because then we're heading to the mountains. <laughs> Which um, would it? not be the first time you've threatened me whilst in the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> you end, end your hubby. Okay, so in the early morning hours of April 29th, 1903, 110 million tons of rock came crashing down the side of Turtle Mountain. We'll get to talk about this name right away. Um, burying a portion of the town of Frank. This small town in the Crow's Nest Pass was home to about 600 citizens, 100 of which were directly in the slide path, and more than 90 people lost their lives that morning. So we actually have um, some historical photos that we'll be posting on our socials, and these photos come from the Glenbow Museum archives, and um, honestly, these photos cannot do the tragedy justice, as the sheer magnitude of the debris needs to actually be seen in person to be truly understood. Yeah. Um, There's dust, rubble, massive boulders, and there's people that lay below that rubble that couldn't be recovered. And today, Highway 3 winds its way through the slide path with massive boulders scattered on both sides of the road to get the full story of this tragic event you just need to stop by the frank slide interpretive center that's located nearby well and to like kind of just give like an image in your guys's mind it's like a giant rock slide happened and then they came along and were like okay well we need to build a highway 
there's way too many rocks here. So let's just build through the rock. Mm -hmm. So when she says that the boulders and rocks are on the left and right side of the highway, that is very accurate. Yeah, it is haunting. Like, that's the only... Yeah, it's crazy. Also, fun fact, um, the Glenbow, Glenbow Museum, which is located downtown Calgary, Alberta, is either now or going to in the very near future have free access you're not gonna have to pay what so we're gonna have to go check that out i love so the shaw family the shaw family who created like shaw and of course entertainment whatever they donated like a huge chunk of money to them because like that's where that's what the father wanted like the father who created this whole shaw endeavor that's what he wanted. He thinks that he thought that people should have free access, easy access to history. Um, and that that's sort of amazing. Thing. So there's going to be no admission fee for and the Glenbow Museum. And we're talking like Shaw, like Shaw, Shaw Cable. Shaw Cable, yeah. yeah. The Shaw family. Shaw you know Cable, of course, entertainment system. Here, here's the Shaw. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. So I just had to throw that in there because I was really excited to see that. Hashtag fun fact. Hashtag fun fact. Okay. So... A little more history of the Crow's Nest Pass. So just in bullet form here. So the Crow's Nest Pass is the high mountain pass that crosses the continental divide in the Albertan British Columbia Rockies. It is the richest archaeological zone in the Canadian Rockies. The oldest relics are stone tools found on a rock ridge outside Frank, Alberta from the Clovis culture, 11,000 years before present. Other sites include shirt quarries on the Livingston Ridge dating back to 1000 BC. So um, a Clovis culture is like a prehistoric Paleo-American culture named for its distinct stone tools found in close association with um, plasticine, plasticine, which is from the Ice Age. In 1800, members of David Thompson expedition avoid entering the past. So David Thompson was a British Canadian fur trader, surveyor, and cartographer known to some native people as cuckoo scent or the stargazer so over thompson's career he traveled 90,000 kilometers across north america mapping 4.9 million square kilometers of north america along the way um for this historic feat thompson has been described as the greatest practical land geographer that the world has produced hmm. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. uh, and in 1850, the Crow Indians dispersed from the area, from area by Blackfoot Confederacy. So Blackfoot Com- Confederacy, and I'm sorry about, about these um, pronunciations here, but um, there's maybe, Brittany, you know, Nitsitapi, Nitsitapi oh, and then there's like the Sitsika. No, it's Sitsika. It's Sitsika. Um, we are probably so not doing any yeah and i apologize like um immensely yeah um but basically the this indigenous language um translates to meaning the people or blackfoot speaking people um, the blackfoot confederacy is a historical collective name for linguistically related groups that make up the blackfoot or blackfeet people um so we have sitsika yeah Kainai or blood, many chiefs, many chiefs. Yeah. um, pagan or Picani, um, Circe, Sutina, yeah. So a bunch of different tribes, I guess. Yeah. That, um, 
who spoke quite different languages but allied with or joined the Blackfoot Confederacy. Bands. Yeah, bands. Thank you. Yeah, bands. Historically, the member peoples of the Confederacy were nomadic bison hunters and trout fishermen who ranged across large areas of the northern Great Plains of Western North America, specifically the semi-arid shortgrass prairie ecological region. So they followed bison herds as they migrated between what are now the United States and Canada, as far north as the Bow River, um, which is goes through um, kind of south central Alberta, I guess southern Alberta. Uh, in the first half of the 18th century, they acquired horses and firearms from white traders and their Cree and Assiniboine go-betweens. The Blackfoot used these to expand their territory at the expense of neighboring tribes. Um, today, three Blackfoot and First Nation band governments, Sitsika, Kainai, Kenai, and Pikani nations. We're going to, well, sorry, when I say we, I'm going to, since I, I'm an indigenous and I should probably know most of this, but unfortunately was robbed of that education. Mm-hmm. I am going to take this away if you can send this to yep. me so that I can learn the correct correct pronunciations i mean if you if that's any indication that we don't even know how to pronounce like (laughs) english words i don't know if you guys listen to me speak in any of my episodes but i'm tongue-tied like 90 percent of the time but yes forgive our ignorance uh around this and surrounding this absolutely we uh we mean no disrespect by not on by not knowing the pronunciations and i almost guarantee it's almost more upsetting for me this is something that we're gonna work on (laughs) to feel this way Anyway, onwards. Yeah, onwards. Continue. So while the Blackfeet Nation is a federally recognized Native American tribe of the Southern Pecani and in Montana, United States, additionally, the Gross Venture are members of the federally, federally recognized Fort Belknap Indian community of the Fort Belknap Reservation of Montana in the United States. And the Sutina Nation is the First Nation Band government in Alberta, Canada. So I know that was a lot of verbal diarrhea history and everything, <laughs> but I felt it was important because we're talking about this land and I don't want to just focus on the fact that this, like this was, this was land that was, settled by these this, these indigenous bands of people right and then it was mined it was taken away from them and it was mined by you know the the people that colonized the area well so i want to give credit to the people who you're initially... touching on a very important topic too yep. which is land acknowledgement yes. so and you know go out look at what land acknowledgement actually means and what you're doing is an important part of that so i I didn't i definitely did not want to leave that out regardless of whether or not i can pronounce these uh, band names or or not listen Um, we're not perfect but we're here to provide you information because we like information right so we're gonna go to 1873 michael phillips of the hudson's bay company uh traverses the pass he reports coal deposits um for those of you who don't know Hudson's Bay Company or HBC is an American owned retail business group. A fur trading business for much of its existence, HBC now owns and operates retail stores in Canada and the United States. 
So the Crow's Nest Pass, Highway 3, First Nations, long used the Crow's Nest Pass, but it was not shown on maps until the Palliser Expedition of 1860. In 1877, the First Nations gave up their title in the eastern portion of the pass with Treaty 7. The western portion in British Columbia is unseated. So Treaty 7, for those that don't know, is an agreement between the Crown, or the government, basically, of Canada, which comes from the Queen, <laughs> so the Crown, and several mainly Blackfoot First Nations bands governments in what is today the southern portion of Alberta. The idea of developing treaties for Blackfoot lands was brought to the Blackfoot chief Crowfoot by John McDougall in 1875. It was concluded on September 22nd, 1877. The agreement was signed at the Blackfoot crossing of the Bow River at the present day Sitsika Nation Reserve, approximately 100 kilometers east of Calgary, Alberta. Chief Crowfoot was one of the signatories to Treaty 7. Another signing on this treaty occurred on December 4th, 1877 to accommodate some Blackfoot who were not present uh, at the primary September 1877 signing. So Treaty 7 is one of 11 numbered treaties signed by between First Nations and the Crown between 1871 and 1921. The treaty established a delimited area of land for tribes, a, essentially a reserve. This is where reservations come from, okay? Promised annual payments and or provisions from the Queen to the tribes and promised continued hunting and trapping rights on the tract surrendered. Quote, unquote. <laughs> In exchange, the tribe ceded their rights to their traditional territory or which they had earlier been recognized as by the owners. Um, so basically, to this day, the government has not held up their end of this. Yeah, don't to, say. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's not open that big. Yeah, it, that is. That, there's a lot to unpack there, but um, well, and Treaty Seven itself is a lot yeah. to unpack. And I think, and... I think actually, if you want to do a dark history episode, Treaty Seven might be, or something like that, might be a good one to explore. And yeah. I really, really think that as your, as our indigenous, that's accurate. I, I think that's a great yeah. idea. Agreed. Yeah. So um, we'll just kind of scroll through here. Government, an 1878 government survey by George Dawson. Um, he was a Canadian geologist and surveyor. 1881, for, uh, first surveys by Canadian Pacific Railway. 1897, um, CP Rail enters into farm export sub subsidy agreement for freight rates in exchange for financing of the railway between Lethbridge, Alberta and Nelson, BC. Uh, Crow's Nest Pass Coal Company commences operations in British Columbia. In 1898, CP, CP Rail opens the railway line. Uh, 10th siding, later Blairmore, Alberta, is established. 1900, <laughs> the Frank Mine opens and the new town of Frank, Alberta is established. Other coal mines and towns spring up between 1900 and 1919. In 1902, the explosion at Coal Creek Mine kills 128 men. In 1903, the cataclysmic Frank slide occurs on the north slope of Turtle Mountain. 82 million tons of limestone crash down and partially bury the town of Frank, killing approximately 90 of the town's residents. And that is where we go into our story now. So thank you for sitting through all that history about the Crow's Nest Pass. I just, again, I want to reiterate that, like, as Brittany said, 
what did you say? Land acknowledgement. Land acknowledgement. Yeah, thank you. And it is very important, especially with everything going on in the world. It's becoming more and more of a thing, which is great. I couldn't leave that out. And there's there's a lot of history to go through there. And um, And it's important. If you do end up driving through the Crow's Nest Pass after this and you where you haven't before, or maybe you didn't know all of this before. I hope that you look at it a little bit differently. And I hope that you keep in mind where it actually came from. So with that being said, I want to get into a little bit more background. This is the last of the background information um, about um, the Crow's Nest Pass and the legend of Turtle Mountain. Okay, <laughs> give you some background about Crow's Nest Pass. <laughs> That'll be another episode. Uh, Well, hopefully not. (laughs) So the legend of Turtle Mountain, there is some dispute about how the Crow's Nest Pass got its name, which I did say earlier. So some stories claim that the naming has something to do with literal nests of actual crows, like I said, while others say that the pass was named after figurative nests of Crow Indians. So Crow Indians came from Montana, like I said, indigenous, we say no, but we're going way, way back. Yep. Okay. Um, according to one Blackfoot legend in 1853, a war party of Blackfoot Braves ambushed a group of Crow Raiders who had made their way north from Montana. The ensuing battle took place at the base of a mountain. And during the battle, an enormous rock broke away from the mountain and crushed about 200 Blackfoot and Crow warriors. Foreshadowing much? Yeah. Um, believing the rock slide to be a divine sign, the two parties quit the battle and vowed to never fight within the valley again. The Blackfoot named the valley the Crow's Nest Pass in honor of the crows who died in the battle and called the mountain that had claimed them, the mountain that walks. Ever since, Blackfoot and local Kootenai Indians have refused to pitch their teepees within the mountain's vicinity. Wow, I didn't... I'm fascinated by this actually choice, so we're gonna- yeah right <laughs> oh also can i just point out that the indigenous normally make the better choices yeah absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. yeah they're like mm, don't fuck with this mountain and then like, the white, mm. white folk come and they're like let's fuck with this mountain. <laughs> let's fuck this shit out of this mountain let's do that they're just sitting there ah. yeah so we're going to talk about the founding of Frank right now. So in 1900, Henry S. Pelletier, an entrepreneur who would eventually own a sawmill in Blairmore, discovered an outcropping of coal on the mountain that walks, which had been renamed Turtle Mountain in 1880 by a local rancher who likened the shape of the mountain to that of a turtle. Pelletier uh, sold his claim to Samuel W. Gibo, Gibo. Gabot. I'm going to say Gabot. Gabot. Um, he was a mine owner from Burmese who in turn asked or rather begged Henry Luplin Frank, who is a prominent Jewish businessman from Montana for financial support. So together, Gabot and Frank developed a coal mine at the base of Turtle Mountain in the spring of 1901 and effectively or sorry, effectually found the town of Frank, Alberta. In an effort to attract business to their newly established mining town, Gabo and Frank organized an official gala opening of the town site that was to take place on September 10th, 1901. The event, which was to be free, but for the rail fare. So if you were coming from out of town, you had to pay your own rail fare, essentially. But there was no cover charge. <laughs> 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 Ladies night! <laughs> Ladies night! So, and the feeling's right! 
Sorry. So Gabo and Frank arranged for the C3 Rail to run two special passenger trains to their town on the day of the gala, one east from Lethbridge, Alberta, and the other west from Cranbrook, BC. Uh, it was heavily advertised in the news in the area newspapers. The businessmen's marketing efforts paid off because 1,400 spectators arrived to take part in the event. Oh, 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 oh. that's a so, lot of people. Oh, it was a popping party. My like panic or like stress, it like just went up there right? thinking about oh that God. many people yeah. in one spot. So after a formal opening in which Premier of the Northwest Territories, Sir Fred Halton, and Territorial Treasurer Arthur E. Sifton gave speeches, the festivities began. There was a lacrosse game between teams from Lethbridge and Fernie, which is so Canadian. So Canadian. And a football game between teams of Blairmore and Pincher Creek. There were foot races and all sorts of sporting events in which the champions received gold medals. And uh, company men guided tours of the new mine and vacant company cottages. After the games and the tours, the guests sat down to an outdoor banquet held under the shadow of Turtle Mountain. Gabo and Frank had spared no expense and had ordered a ton of fresh fruit and ice cream from Spokane. Nice. I don't know why it had to come from Spokane, <laughs> but apparently, well, isn't it? And Spokane's like how far away? From Washington, so it's yeah. just like southwest of south of the border. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm sure they got great fish, but I don't know why the ice cream is so special. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so now let's get into the slide. So Gabo and Frank's gala was a roaring success because that ice cream that they imported was banging apparently 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 (laughs) (laughs) so this roaring success of a gala catalyzed tremendous growth in the town of frank and in time the boom town boasted an electric light plant a water system a two-story school four hotels 16 additional business establishments and a population of nearly 600 is anyone else like i know this is totally the wrong image to be picturing right now but thinking like great gatsby Sort but of, like oh, yeah. mining town version yeah. of Great Gatsby. Well, I mean, like Great Gatsby <laughs> oh, is like the twenties, right? And that, like, that's like the Roaring Twenties. But this is yeah. like still in the eighteen hundreds. The Roaring eighteen hundreds. Or no, this is like oh. no, this is the nineteen hundreds, like early nineteen hundreds. Huh. Yeah. Fancy, fancy. So the Frank Mine bored through thousands of feet of limestone and coal with a production objective of a thousand tons of coal per day. The operation continued smoothly without incident for two years. Now, sometime in October, 1902, strange things started to happen within the Frank mine. Well, it's way too early for me to be bored. <laughs> I'm an October baby, but this is way too early. So it wasn't me. <laughs> so solid two. Solid two by four support timbers set up by the night crew were found splintered the next morning and upraises resultant of freshly mined coal covered overnight or closed overnight. Okay. So can you paint a picture for me? Okay. So they're set in the night crew setting up solid two by four support timbers. Yeah. So um, I'm going to go back to ghost adventures because like, if you ever see them investigating a mine, they have like those two by fours of support, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So when they set those up, that night, the next morning, they're splintered. Splintered. They're yeah. like so they're in half. Yeah, they're cracked. They're, well, they're cracked, right? Cracked. Okay. They're splintered. Yeah. Upraises resultant of freshly mined coal. So, like when you're mining the coal, they're closed overnight. So you the oh, mountain's moving okay. and it's closing in on itself, right? And that's because that should it's... be open. I've just dug a hole here. I've just mined this. Okay. Okay. This okay. is closed, right? I'm not a coal miner and maybe i'm wrong in this respect but this is like you're not 
I did do some research on this before <laughs> I decided to deliver it to you folks, you fine folks. But like, um, she's got a PhD in coal mining I, I now. Could, <laughs> I, I will be the first to admit that I could be wrong <laughs> about some things. So, on certain nights between the hours of one and three a.m., the mine was beset by slight tremors, like so, so kind of like a little like exactly. shudder. Yes. So, yeah, exactly. So, um, some unsettled miners who felt that heard that well they're, they're like fuck this they're yeah like, i'm gonna eat the fuck out of here see ya they were just like peeling on out of there they're like no way jose start um, their car yeah exactly they're they believed they're like bye, <laughs> bye. so they left bye. they didn't just leave the mine they left frank for good oh they, <laughs> Yeah, they're so just they're like, way the fuck Was there like a little like death path behind right? them as they Probably, ran away? Yeah. <laughs> so death, yeah, they, so they left Frank completely, believing that the string of strange happenings, which would continue throughout fall and winter, was probably a warning of imminent disaster. And hello, good job, mm-hmm. goodbye. I mean, glad you guys did. I'm not saying that we'd be those people, but we'd probably be those people. <laughs> Oh I'd yeah, be like, we'd be like, fine. did anyone feel the ground shake? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes, I cut my finger. I split my finger open today and I was like, it's good. I don't need to go to urgent care. <laughs> I don't need stitches. I would be, uh, no, I'd be dead. Yeah. Oh, um, oh, oh okay. Well, you went the other way. <laughs> I'd run away. Way. Mm, no. So <laughs> obviously they weren't wrong. Disaster stuck, yeah. struck on the eve of April 28th and 29th, 1903. That night, a thick shroud of fog hung ominously on the peak of the mountain. According to the night shift miners who descended into the heart of Turtle Mountain, the night was especially cold. So temperature is playing a factor in here, right? And moisture, I'm sure too. This is why splinters, shifting, mountain, you're digging a hole through a mountain. There's so many elements elements. that are coming into play here. Yeah. So at 4.10 a.m., a freight train rolled out of the mine bound for Frank. The train crew had just finished hooking up the coal cars to the engine at the tipple, which is basically um, like if you look at pictures of um, a, what a tipple is, it's like coming out of the mine and it's like this wooden um, building type thing that kind of pulls the coal the, car down. The coal car, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Suddenly, there was a low rumble on Turtle Mountain. Taking no chances, Ben Murgatroyd, the train engineer, shouted a warning to the brakemen who jogged beside the train and rammed the throttle to full speed. So you have your brakemen who are starting and stopping or whatever, yeah. running the train, right? Mm-hmm. So the brakemen grabbed hold of the handrails and the train rolled to safety across the bridge over the Crow's Nest River. Within a minute and 40 seconds... 90 million tons of rock broke from the east face of Turtle Mountain and slid down into the valley. Rocks destroyed the mine entrance and crashed into the tipple, sweeping away the Wayscale Man and two other miners. The slide ripped over Crow's Nest River and through the eastern outskirts of Frank, obliterating the bridge, a power plant, several farmhouses, several businesses, seven cottages, a section of the Crow's Nest Railway, and a cemetery. In addition to those already laid to rest in the cemetery, at least 121 were initially entombed with the rubble. Jesus. Yeah. That's insane. And again, I'm going to go back to like, you need to check the socials on this because the photos are fucking bone chilling. Haunting. Yeah. 
Like, could you honestly imagine just uh, sitting there one night and, ma- like, minding your own business, and then all of a sudden, just everything in trouble around you? It makes me want to cry. It like, makes anytime me I, cry. I drive through there, like, it. If I drive through there, I and I remember this from a very early age too. Oh yeah, it's just like the amount of empathy from that camping, I feel, right? Yeah, like yeah, the empathy that I feel for the people that um, like not only like survived or weren't hurt at all, but like had to witness this, and the people that are still under that rubble today that haven't that been haven't found, been found or put to rest. Exactly, yeah, like. Well, I know, it like, hurts my heart. anytime when I was younger driving through it, it, it really is one of those places you drive through and you can't help but feeling how haunted it is. Yeah. And anytime I drove through it when I was younger, it was like you knew when you were coming upon it. Yeah. Napping in the car or whatever, you knew when you were at Frank's slide. Yeah. You could feel it in the air. So get this. The tremendous crash could be heard as far away as Cochrane. Alberta. Oh, and so I know you guys know where Cochrane oh, yeah. is. But for those listeners That's that crazy. don't know, it's like northeast a little bit, but like quite a bit. Like if you were to drive from um Crowsnest Pass to Cochrane, it'd probably be like four hours. Yeah. Maybe. Two hours. Two, two no, hours. It be Depending four. which way you went. If you went through the mountains, I guess. But like it's pretty close to like you have a really good <laughs> mountain view from Cochrane. Also, it depends on how many times you got pulled over for speeding. Yeah, that's true too. Um, anyways, that crash was heard as far away as Cochrane, a hundred miles, a hundred miles North. There we go. It woke that sleeping town. So citizens poured into the streets, many guessing that there must have been an enormous explosion. And I'm talking about Frank now, the guessing that there must have been an explosion in the mines, others fearing the end of the world. They didn't know there's like, this is sounds they've never heard before. So in the darkness, it's fucking dark. I feel like this is akin to like a tornado tearing through a town in the dark. In the Hundred percent. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So in the darkness, the Frank citizens could only speculate as to the magnitude of the c- catastrophe. Sid Coquette and his partner Lowe's, they were the two brakemen who had been aboard Murgatroyd's freight train that night. So they knew that a passenger train was scheduled to arrive, like a CP rail passenger train was scheduled to arrive with people on it. Yes. Like, from because the that east. was transportation yeah. back yes, in yes, the day. Yes, yeah. So they knew that that was scheduled to arrive from the East in 20 minutes from the catastrophe. Mm-hmm. After learning that the slide had knocked out the East telegraph line, they couldn't reach them by telegraph. So the two brakemen set out east across the rubble hoping to flag down the train before it was too late as they climbed through the endless chaos of limestone and rock and dust the brakeman slowly came to appreciate the extent of the slide after some time low ran out of breath and he gave up coquette scrambled on eventually emerging at the eastern edge of the rock slide exhausted yeah. the brakeman with the aid of his lantern he did locate the railway he raced down the tracks and he flagged down the incoming passenger train, thereby preventing it from slamming into the limestone mass. Yeah. Fucking hero. Goodness yeah. for people yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even as Coquette and Lois were making their way east, rescuers were pulling injured victims from the wreckage. Throughout the night and the following morning, 23 survivors, including six adults, 16 children, and a baby, were rescued and treated at the local doctor's That's house. That's so many kids that's so many kids so only 12 bodies some unrecognizable were recovered from the rubble Ugh. 
at least 69 of the town's residents remained buried underneath the rock. At dawn, a citizens' meeting was held and search parties were formed. One of these search parties was tasked with locating and uncovering the mine entrance, which had been completely buried in the slide. The townspeople hoped to rescue the miners who were working the night shift. They're trapped in there, yeah. right? So considering the damage that the mine entrance had sustained, it seemed unlikely that any of the men that were trapped in the mine would have survived. Well, even if they would have, did they have the tools to dig them out at that exactly. point? Never. Nevertheless, the rescue crew worked tirelessly throughout the morning and the afternoon, removing um, the mass of limestone and shattered timbers piece by piece. Late in the afternoon, at about 5 o'clock p.m., the rescuers working at the mine entrance heard a shout from above. At about 50 yards up the slope, they saw 12 miners crawl one by one from a hole in the mountain. They were okay. Yeah. The miners, what? Yeah. The miners explained that after the slide had destroyed the mine entrance, they searched for an alternate escape route, a route. And after discovering that all potential exits were blocked, one of the miners, fucking smart ass man here, he suggests that they mine their way through a seam of coal instead of limestone, which, because it'd be easier to carve through than limestone. Yeah. Right? density of the rock yeah yeah. absolutely so the crew agreed and began digging through the seam in relays of two or three allowing obviously rest periods for other people towards the mid-afternoon most of the miners had quit like they're utterly fucking exhausted and you have this one guy yeah one guy that 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 decided that this was a good idea but like at the end of this like three men actually persevered and managed to finally dig everybody out of oh, into wow. the open. Yeah. So how many were in this? I know you 12. said it. There was 12 people. There were 12 all together. Yeah. Yeah, and so out survived. of those 12, all of them survived, but three of them were responsible for. Well, all of them helped. But well, three, obviously. The three of them sorry, were I don't like, mean responsible. We gotta, we gotta fucking They were go. the ones that, that yeah. did that last yeah. little part where exactly. everybody was yeah. too they exhausted. Yeah. That is, how has this not been made into a movie? I know, way? right? Oh, yeah. Also, a new career path, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's direct a movie. Right? So, uh, despite the enormity of the tragedy, the town of Frank it didn't take long to recover out of fear that the remainder of the town was in imminent danger of another slide. The population of Frank, they were evacuated yeah. and then they were brought back once engineers relieved that fear. So they figured out like, yeah, we're not, we're good. Yeah. Um, so the stretch of the Canadian Pacific railway that had been obliterated was rebuilt within three weeks. Holy. <laughs> okay. Money, money, money. Right. What construction crew was working on that? And can we get them here in Calgary right now? They're like, just build it over bodies. (laughs) We need money. We need money. Oh, yeah. Um, that's awful, but also it true. It's, it's, but mean, also kind of true. Yeah, right? So by May 30th, the mine was reopened. Maybe don't do that. Maybe uh, do workers that. who subsequently explored the mine shaft were astonished to discover that Charlie, one of the mine horses, was still alive. Oh, the horses! So Charlie had survived for a month underground by <laughs> drinking water that, due to the damaging effects of the rock slide, had seeped into the mine from the Crow's Nest River. And by sucking salt from his harness and knowing wood from mine carts and support timbers. Okay, are we sure it wasn't the horse that saved everybody? Because this sounds right? like a pretty let's, smart horse. Let's, let, let's not get too excited oh, because the rescuers welcomed Charlie back with a hearty meal of oats and brandy. The horse who was starving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Men. 
Oh god. Fucking, you know, you know the women are there like maybe we shouldn't give the horse brandy. Perfect. And the men are like, fucking hero, give him brandy. And then the women are like, are okay. You and they're do, like, you slow. Do you. And then the women are like, slow down on the oats, honey. Like, <laughs> the barley. Have you, have you heard of like fucking horses bloating and how? So yeah. Um. Also, we're 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 Does sorry to our... the horse who was starving <laughs> promptly gorged himself to death. Oh what? Oh, my no, God. I did not see it going that way. Also, if you're gonna go anyway, and he probably didn't enjoy it because he was starving. He probably did enjoy. it. He probably did yeah. enjoy it. Have you ever been starving have you, and gotten have been, a burger? Have you ever gone to McDonald's? You're still starving, hurts, and then you have all those endorphins hit, and you're like, still hurts. Oh, oh yeah. it hurts afterwards, but he yeah. made it to the point of killing it. himself, so he wasn't you able wanna, to regret it. Let's <laughs> the brandy to probably help with the pain. Oh, what that a, too. What a way to go. Anyway, what a way to anyway, go. Okay. So, rest in peace, horsey. R.I.P. So today, chaos of rubble that destroyed the eastern edge of Frank still lies across the valley of the Crow's Nest Pass. The Frank Slide Interpretive Center, opened by the Alberta provincial government in 1985, serves as a memorial to those who lost their lives in the 1903 slide and to those whose bodies remain beneath the rubble to this day. Yeah, that is so haunted because it is like you drive through there and the realization that there are still people that have not been found because they're so deep underneath these rocks. You you feel that and getting into like the the, like kind of segueing into the paranormal part of that like you know when somebody dies suddenly and for those that believe in the paranormal or like the afterlife and that sort of thing. when you die so suddenly like that, yeah. it you don't have time to perceive the fact that you've died, right? Yeah. So you, you have unfinished business. You have you're like, like you don't get it. Stuck in that you're state of that. shock. Yeah, exactly. Only you are passed off. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you're not. Yeah. Well, so, and and I know maybe some of our listeners believe in the paranormal, some don't, but I don't think people can disagree with the fact that there is some kind of energy. Absolutely. There, there are things that happen and happen for a reason, don't happen for a reason. You can't deny the fact that some of the things that happen are just mm-hmm. sometimes too coincidental, right? Yeah. And I, I want to, as we're wrapping this story up, I want to personally thank you, Christy, um for not only saving my butt you're welcome <laughs> tell me you have a toddler without telling me <laughs> i just want to say you're welcome yeah, thank you. uh, i know that oh my god i know okay, that. Anyways, continue. anyway continue i just want to say thank you yeah. um with how chaotic everything's been for me i appreciate that mm-hmm. you were able to take over my episode i also really appreciate that not only did you take over my episode but you kept indigenous ties to it as well. And we were still able to speak to our audience on that. I just want to. That's a part of the dark history. You it, guys. it really like, is. It is a dark history. Leave that out. We that have to get part of the dark history and we have to get comfortable with it. Yep. And thank you. If you're uncomfortable for... with it. Good. Yeah. Be uncomfortable you and come back until you're it. not uncomfortable yeah. anymore. But anyway, thank you very much for that, yes. for saving my butt and for still 
talking about something close to my heart. You guys are so welcome. I had so much fun researching this and I was really excited to um, deliver it. So actually it worked out for me too. Well, and you fixed um, my mind. Yeah. And it was, it was really eye opening for me and I am really excited to do more episodes like this. So I yeah. hope that you guys, our listeners uh, also appreciated it, learned from it. Um, I hope you're excited to hear more of like dark history sort of mm-hmm. things. Um, if you're not, that's totally fine. You can skip over those ones, but I think it's important. I agree. Um, so well, it's going to be all Canadian history too. It's going to be dark history from around the world. So. And that's the great thing about our podcast is if there's one episode you're not a super huge fan of, there is another episode yeah. that's completely different. And we have sat down and reevaluated, and we do want to bring you guys more paranormal stories, and we are working on that, so you will see it in the future. Uh, but keep listening, and please keep sharing, because also, yeah. you don't get anywhere without you guys. Also, we'd love your feedback. Um, if we aren't our, uh, aren't up to par, if we're missing the fucking point somewhere, um, please Let's let us it. know. We're normally missing the point. Yeah, normally. <laughs> Um, please let us know. And you can do that by reaching us on our socials. We are on TikTok at Homebrew Murder Crew. We are on Instagram at Homebrew Murder Crew. And we are on Facebook at Homebrew Murder Crew. You can also feel free to email us anything you want other than dick pictures at homebrewmurdercrew at gmail.com. Like literally draw me a picture and send it to me because I would love the wall. Just like draw me something. Yes. Okay. Anything. Not but just Christy. Draw us also. Draw a stick men, please, and send no. it to us. But again, no penises. But no penises. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we are in Brittany's room for the last time. Signing off. Ever. First time ever. Last First time, time and ever. last time ever. First time and last time. Next time we are talking, hopefully we will be in my new place. Yeah. In our little podcast nook. And we look forward to... To seeing, well, not seeing, but talking to you all then. We love you guys for listening. Love you. And um, listening. I guess next time we'll chat with you on another time. That was weird. That was we'll just see you on another time. See you on another time. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Love you.